welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. How do you create an authentically inclusive culture at work? One that sustains beyond the initial buzz and focus of the change program. Asif Sadiq has accomplished this in not just one, but in many organizations. And I personally am thrilled that he's agreed to share some of his experience and insights with you on this podcast. In this podcast, you'll gain insightful nuggets on how Asif has approached equity and inclusion in a way that erupts privilege and respects where each person is coming from, and how he has done that with a budget as small as 20k and as big as 10 million pounds. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI and ESG goals. This is where we explore and test out ideas with amazing guests who are making the difference that makes a difference. You have the opportunity to have your say and share your views on this topic. So remember to head over to our research survey after you've listened to this podcast and make sure you contribute to our shared knowledge base about the impact of privilege at work. Here's where you'll find that survey. So it's https slash slash bit.ly bit.ly slash privilege research. Please do that because we're building a body of knowledge about the impact of privilege. And the more information we have about different experiences, the more we can use that to really drive the DEI agenda and ensure we achieve equitable cultures at work. So thank you for doing that. Now, let me tell you about Asif. Asif Sadiq has a long and rich career in the equity and inclusion space. He's had senior roles at Adidas, The Telegraph, and Ernst & Young Financial Services. He's listed as one of the most influential global DNI leaders by Hive Learning. He's on the CIPD's top 20 power list, and he was honored with an MBE in 2017 by Her Majesty the Queen. As Senior Vice President of Equity and Inclusion International at Warner Media. Asif works on globally driving the agenda around diversity. Asif, I'm delighted to welcome you to the Privilege Eruption podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How have you navigated the impact of privilege risk? We call it privilege risk because if you, you, know, if you don't handle it, bad things could happen, right? So how have you navigated privilege risk in the organizations that you've led through the DNI journey? I think it's about making the conversation inclusive, right, with everyone. It's about not us and them. 
but it's about how do you bring everyone into it? How does everyone feel they're part of that conversation? When we talk about diversity, I don't want to talk to people in the room who are just from an ethnic minority background or just women. If we truly believe in it, let's tell everyone. Yeah. Let's tell everyone why we're doing it, what the benefits are. Mm. And, you know, if, as I said, if we're in a different region, and we all know diversity looks different globally. Um, and, you know, if we were in a place where the underrepresented or the less privileged was a different group of people, we would focus on that, but we'd tell everyone. Mm. But we need to create that common ground and understanding that this is something that we all need to work on and why it's good and why it's beneficial for us as a business. Um, mm. and, and that, for me, is what I've always done, right? I never, ever um, blame one group over another or, you know, be non-inclusive or only speak to one group in isolation. Mm. Um, it's about bringing every single person together. I mean, I, I still remember when I was in the police service, they're very keen for uh, officers from an ethnic minority background to to go on to you know uh, into leadership positions. Then they you know on occasion put us in a room you know the the the, the ten twenty of us they were um, and tell us you know you're the future. Oh great stuff! Tell us you're the future of the organisation. We need representation and so on. And then we leave that room and all our colleagues would think they've been given something special or given yeah. answers to the exam questions or. And it wasn't. And my my and I reflect on that time and I was like, it was really tough for me because I didn't want to be in that mm -hmm. special room. Yeah. But actually, if they really believed that we were the future and you needed more representation, should have told everyone. Exactly. Just tell so that there's no because people feel or when when people feel that there's there's a bit of a disadvantage or or or, or you know the uh, things not working right is when there's no transparency. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that piece. And even people who are privileged, when they understand them, when they understand that, hey, you know, that got you that quite easily. Can you imagine what that would have been if you were this or that? Yeah. And people are human, they will understand. But, you know, if I said, well, you're very privileged and, you know, you need to understand, no one's going to want to listen. Well, it, it's human, isn't it? If you're criticized, then you're going to shut down. Yeah. Um, so, as if you're now doing this on an international context, mm -hmm. and I think my listeners will be interested in what's different when you're managing a, a DNI project in country and when you're managing it internationally. What what do you need to account for that you wouldn't have to? Account? Yeah, so I I think the biggest thing is understanding the piece around diversity looks different in different countries. You can't mm -hmm. as you we can't go to another country and say this is what we do and that. You know, that's the area that's going to be important to you. Yeah. We have to acknowledge and understand who are underrepresented in that country. Who mm. are the ones with disadvantage? Who do we not have in the room? And mm. you know, uh, within, within that environment. So that's the first thing. The second big thing is we have a tendency to approach the world from our cultural preference. What I mean by that: dominant cultures, right? So yeah. the US, the UK. Um, yeah. It's our sort of, you know, this is what good looks like in your country. This is what inclusion must be in the Middle East, in South Africa, in, you know, mm. Singapore, uh, mm. Brazil. We must acknowledge what does it mean locally? What, yeah. you know, we can't, I can't judge because good to me is people who chat a lot and who are open. That mm. might not be the case with a team in Japan. They might be less likely to uh, speak. So yeah. how do you go in without that dominant culture uh, piece? Yeah. And really truly understand different cultures and then also break down things like you know language um we we write amazing documents in you know western countries which are filled with so many big words 
great. Why do we have to do that when we're going to other markets where they're not English speaking? Mm. You know, why can't it be simpler language so that everyone yeah. gets it? Yeah. And also to truly understand, English is a language. It's mm. not a test of intelligence. You know, it's not this this tool that determines how clever you are. Um, but we do, right? We we determine things based on on some of those things. So being challenging of that stuff is really important. Mm. And just the last piece, I think, is terminology. There's certain terms that to us might be outdated, mm. but might still be very relevant and in use in certain countries. Now, does it mean they're wrong, we're right, or we're wrong and they're right? No, you know, we are right and they're right. They're on a journey. It's about supporting, uh, supporting them on that journey to you know, understand why terms have evolved, why we're using a different term now. Mm. But it's not just about saying, well, you're wrong, because that doesn't, you know, and and yes. what, maybe maybe if I put it into perspective, like I've heard terms like handicapped still being used in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Now we've evolved a lot since then uh, mm-hmm. in Western worlds, but some countries that's still a term that they use. So let's yeah. educate them, let's build their yes. knowledge, understanding, yeah. and take them through a journey. But just asking them to change a term yeah. without going through because we went through an education piece. Yes. I mean, I can remember yes. when handicapped was a term that was used, and then yeah. there was a lot of education why. It's wrong. Why it's not yeah. the right term? Yeah. Let's do the same with others. Let's let's take yeah. them through a journey. Like you can't like expect it. them to meet us where we are without going on a journey. Yeah. And I think we just need to accept how challenging that is for us as well, right? Um, because you mentioned handicapped. I was speaking to somebody from another country who used the word retarded, and it made me cringe. Yeah, of course. Right. So I had to deal with my cringeness. In order to create space for them. Exactly. Yeah, it's really, really challenging. So, Asif, I know you've taken some really innovative approaches to helping people understand. And I heard on the grapevine about some amazing work you did at Adidas, where you created this virtual reality environment in Harlem, right? I'd love to understand for our listeners as well about... You know, what was your thinking behind that? How did you do it? What was the outcome? Just that's just such a great case study. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a lot around. Um, it was a lot of it was around how do you create learning? Right. And how do you create learning that really sticks? And a lot of data and I actually shared a whole article on this on LinkedIn as well. But a lot of data shows that learning has to be in different ways. Right. So you have to embed experiential learning self-taught learning and traditional classroom-based learning for it to truly be impactful. Um, mm. We also learn through experiences. We remember experiences, especially uncomfortable experiences. Um, and how do you create that? How do you replicate those experiences? And virtual reality is an amazing tool because mm. you can put people into the position of what it feels like to be um, in someone else's shoes, right? Mm. And and. We, we, we created a lot of experiences around like, what would it mean for someone who's dyslexic? And, and I remember with that, what we did was, it was looking at how does someone who's dyslexic see words on a screen? Mm. And, you know, um, for someone, who's, and I, I am dyslexic as well. So, so for someone like me, when I look at words, it's not probably the way someone who's not neurodiverse mm. looks at it. Words are scrambled, things look that, but when you start to see that, when you put this virtual reality on it, you see, oh, okay, wow, that's mm. how words look like for someone who's dyslexic. Yeah. You have a new appreciation mm. for understanding why there might be some challenges. Similarly, if you bring in virtual uh, virtual um, reality and, and look at it for someone who might be um, um, might have a disability and be in a wheelchair, right? 
and understanding simple things like switches. Mm. Switches are placed for uh, a certain height. And by the way, you know, no one is, um, no one is, a, no one is a person with a, the world around them disables them, right? Because it's yeah. built for a certain group of people. Exactly. But experiencing that and understanding that, like seeing what it would be if you're in a wheelchair and at this height, how many barriers, challenges, trying to go into an office, mm. the majority of the offices have stairs. The ramps usually around the back, next to the bins, yeah. through three, four corridors, and then to, but un- yeah. being able to experience that, you will have a new understanding mm. of what it means to be in that situation. And similarly, you could be from an ethnic minority background and, and understanding how some of the challenges and thoughts through virtual reality, you could put this on and see how people treat you, mm. how people ask you questions and what it means. And so I think it's, it's amazing to use tools like that. Yeah. Of course, you could use real life experiences as well, right? You can take yeah. people out. I mean, I believe learning should involve that. I, I, I've in the past taken leaders. Uh, I remember I remember um, when, when I used to work, um, well, I think it was it was um, in, in, in the police service, but like, yeah, bring young people from the community to us so we can listen to their concerns. And I'm like, why don't you go to the young people in the community, go to the, what's a safe space for them. And they're like, well, but you know, I'm like, it's uncomfortable for you. I get it. But that's when your learning will happen, when you are uncomfortable. Instead, you want to put yeah. them in an uncomfortable position. Mm. When they're not going to speak their truth anyway because no. they feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. But that's really helpful. And, you know, I appreciate that maybe not all our listeners will have the budget to do virtual reality. But what I'm taking away from what you said, Asif, is that you can even use imagery. You can use... Um, okay. text you can you can use different ways of helping people appreciate and experience what somebody else is experiencing okay. thank you that's really helpful now I've got this question is from Cami and you know Cami's our culture expert and she really wanted to know how do you bridge from the corporate culture and the wider organizational culture and ways of working to what's required for a DNI culture. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't think <clears throat> the problem is we, we've separated the two quite a lot, right? We've assumed that the two are very different or, you know, that they're not embedded. Mm. I don't think it's that different. Like, what is a corporate culture, right? In essence, beyond uh, what, what we, what, what we know might be challenging. Mm. The is about creating a working environment where every single person can come perform, be high performing, um, be productive, be innovative, mm. um, you know, be able to get the best out of themselves and us as an organization, drive organizations, object, all those, you know, corporate mm. cultural. Mm. How different are they to DNI? Is this words missing, right? So if I said the same thing with the DNI lens, it would be, you know, creating a working environment where everyone can bring their authentic self, be able to Form, uh, create high-performing innovation, creativity, bring different lived experiences, ideas, mm-hmm. diverse yeah. experience. It's the same thing. Yes. It's just that we, we've separated the two when, when it isn't, right? Yeah. It's just about making sure that corporate culture really builds on the values that we embedded. And they might not have been in the 50s, 60s, be pointed out as specific DNI values, but they are. We just need to yeah. maybe, maybe call them out. And I, I've, I've worked in many companies, many organizations, and I look at company values, right, which, yeah. which many companies have. And when I read them, I'm like, well, that's that's DNI means. That's DNI. It doesn't say it. Doesn't specifically yeah. say it. But yeah. someone who's a practitioner, I can see it. So yeah. what it is is about companies to actually bring those things to life. 
Yes. I'm not saying change your values, but yes. maybe elaborate on when you talk about team working, what does that team working mean? It means yeah. respecting different opinions, giving people an opportunity, make sure everyone in the team can speak up and yeah. have a view and have an opinion. Yeah. So that's those are the big things I yes. think. Yes. That and that's actually what we do, interestingly. We you know, some companies we go to, they don't have their values articulated. Um, yeah. So then we have to do that, which is kind of reverse engineering the values from DMI into company values. But companies, I think, that do have actual values, all there is is a conversation about, well, what does that mean when you're working with people from underrepresented groups? And how do we... I, that's really helpful. Thank you. All right. Well, that's um, that's been such a useful conversation, Asif, and I know our listeners will get a lot of benefit from this. Um, and as you know, at the end of our podcasts, we have this little quick fire thing that we do, which is um, just a bit of fun, really. Um, so if you're ready, I'm going to go into the quick fire round. Okay. Oh. Um, so our first question is, what privilege story has impacted you the most? Wow. What privilege story has impacted me the most? Mm. Um, understanding um, what I mentioned earlier, that the, 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 the privileges which I don't see. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, when I when I talked about the young young people who um, wouldn't have necessarily the the, the, the training fair, that's a real story. I, I I I there was someone who was joining one of the organisations I worked for to do work experience. I thought it was a great opportunity for them, and they turned it down. Wow. And when I looked into it, and I asked them, "Why would you turn down such a great opportunity?" They explained to me that. Mm. They, they they support their family and you know wow. they, they don't have money to travel in. If they use all their money there, what are they gonna are they gonna contribute to their household? And I, I was like, wow. wow, I would never have seen that because of my own privilege and my lens. Mm. Wow. So what that's telling me is you actually need to be interested when people say no and look exactly. look deeper. Exactly to explore why. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Oh, that's moved me. Um, so the next question is: What's the latest book that you've read? You've read that's inspired you. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, I I read a. Um, I probably read less books now because I don't have so much time. Hmm. Um, and um, I'm actually writing my own book as well, which is coming oh. out next year. Amazing. <laughs> that's taking a lot of time. Um, yeah. But but one of the things I do do, and I think it's really important because when people think of books or even articles or things like that. One thing I don't do is only read the good DNI stories or the good inclusion stories. And what I mean by that is, and I think this is important for all your listeners, hmm. if you're truly going to be able to challenge, create inclusion, challenge some of the misconceptions and advance this agenda, you must read the stuff which is not inclusive. So, hmm. you know, the stories that are completely the opposite of inclusion, because if you can understand where people think from, Mm. When they're not put into their agenda, you're in a better position to be able to address and convince them or change their thinking. So oh, I right. read both. Like, I mean, I'll read newspapers. I'll, yeah. of course, The Guardian. Yes. But I, I do also read The Daily Mail because it gives me an understanding of how, how certain think. people are thinking. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you have a book you would recommend that would give that insight? Um. I'm trying to think of which. So I read a lot of motivational books as well, like, you know, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful mm. People and so on. Mm, because I think that. everything else is, 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 is bit, and, and actually seven, or even 40 Laws of Power, 
mm. amazing book and how mm. power works in organizations. And for anyone who's on their career journey or trying to excel, mm. knowledge is great, right? Knowledge and having experience and understanding DEI, amazing. Mm. But you also have to understand the systems you operate with, yeah. how power, power dynamics work. Yeah. How, do you, how do you win a conversation? How do you, you know, uh, mm. advance? And so I think some of those books are really, and they, they, you know, those books have been around for, for years and very successful. And yeah. some of it can seem like it's just the same thing, but I think those books are really, really important. So the next question we have in our quick fire is, what's your favorite indulgence? Mine, wow. Um, I, so, so interestingly, uh, I, 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 I do, <laughs> it's, I'm not a huge food fan or things like that. But one of the things I do do a lot of, I, I really, I've been into motor, like motor sports for a very long time, ah. which no one would assume, right? Like I used to rally um, wow. bikes, motorbikes and things like that. So I spend a lot of time doing things like that, uh, which is really fascinating because it's not linked into like my day job, like, sure. you know, uh, track days with bikes, cars, things like that. So I, oh. I spend a lot of time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, so who's inspired you most to do what you do? Who's inspired me most? Um, I, I, I think, you know, and I, I don't want to be, you know, give, give the usual sort of, um, uh, sort of sort of stories that, you know, everyone does or the same people. Um, I, I think for me, I, I, I would say um, my, my parents, really. Mm. And, and I say parents, not one parent over the other. Um, because they all gave me different skills that have helped me be a better person, both in my work life, my personal life, and understanding, you know, that you can be anything that you want to be as long as you try. And they, they also gave me some really hard knock um, advice, you know, like things like I, I, I early on in my career when, uh, you know, I, I and I, by the way, I've, I've failed a lot of times as well. You know, people think it's, mm. you know, they, all, these are all the amazing things assets done, but behind mm. that is failure on numerous occasions. And but they gave me some truths around things like you know you're going to have to work twice as hard as those as others and yeah. it's a very hard pill to swallow at a young age when you think yeah. why why should I have to work yeah. but I they, they told me and whether it's right or wrong that's probably a whole other podcast to discuss <laughs> but just giving me those hard realities of life and better preparing me because we many parents and I'm not blaming any parents or you know point mm. your fingers at any but we try to. Um, you know, tell our kids this amazing story of the world and not let them be in touch mm. with how the world isn't. Uh, the reality. Yeah. <clears throat> me. yeah. Did that to me. I do that to my kids. I make sure, privileged as they are, they, they have some, you know, they have to, if they want a toy, they have to work hard. They have to do something to get it. And, you know, um, some people tell me about why, you know, my, my mom tells me why. She's like, because she's got grandkids. <laughs> like, just buy it for them. And I'm like, they'll never learn the value unless no, they go to I'm, the- I'm with you, Asif. Um, some people say I, I was a really wicked mom. But when my son wanted something really expensive, I'd pay for half of it and say he has to work or earn the other half. Just so he appreciates the value of things, right? Yeah. Great. So I know you've done like a huge amount already and built a lot of resources. But our final question is, if you had unlimited resources to put together the ultimate resource for ensuring an equitable organization, what would that be? What would that be? Well, um, so I I guess it's interesting, right? Having um, worked in organizations where I've had 20,000 for DNI and worked in organizations where I've had 10 million. 
I don't think the resources is about the money. My my honest mm, opinion. Mm. If I could have the un unlimited resources, it would be unlimited people in an organization who are championing this agenda. Mm. That's the resource which matters the most to me. Mm. Um, the money. I mean, you can do great things that look very nice on annual reports yeah. and yeah. shareholders. They're yeah. amazing. But yeah. the resource you lack the most is people's time in different departments. Uh, some are very enthusiastic and want to do stuff, but they're very busy. Mid- middle middle managers, very very busy doing their day yeah. job. I, yeah. The resource I'd love is if all of them could give me a certain amount of time to drive this agenda. Nice, nice. And then you ha- everything you've said so far is how you enable them. That's brilliant. As if we have had so many new insights from you today, and um, I know my listeners will be lapping it up and and taking it away and applying it. Um, Cami really missed being here. She's unwell and she sent her apologies. But um, I've really enjoyed having you all to myself for this conversation. So thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts. And don't forget to send in your questions. And you can send those to our email, equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.